Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek Podcast number 218. And joining me in Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters is Brian Robinson, writer and automotive expert extraordinaire. I uh, just play one on TV. <laughs> and we all believe your part. Over the Edge reporter, Greg Carlos. I'm glad to be back in the studio. Yes, he's been out on the uh, Western Coast. And Road <laughs> Test <not>. producer, Kyle <laughs> Scanlon. Hey, everybody. All right. We have a lot of talk to, uh, about today. We've got several vehicles that we have driven recently, and we want to talk about those. We've got a lightning round. In the lightning round, we will get to the Tesla Cybertruck. I know that's probably first and foremost on everyone's mind if you're a car aficionado these days. We've also got a viewer question. We'll see if anybody's gotten rant and raves. But we're going to start with things we've actually had some seat time in recently. And our beginning, we'll turn to Brian Robinson to talk about the three-row SUV challenge that he's fresh back from. Brian? Yes, sir. Well, uh, typical thing we do with cars.com, we get a whole uh, bunch of segment leaders in a segment. Put them all together and uh, see which one is the best one going right now. This time we focused on three-row SUVs. So these specifically are the, big ones. the well, specifically the crossover style, mm-hmm. like the Honda Pilot, Chevrolet Traverse, uh, Subaru Ascent, Ford Explorer, Ford Explorer, Volkswagen Atlas, and two new competitors: uh, the Kia Telluride and Hyundai Palisade. And uh, not this wasn't like the you know suburban and uh, full size. So no truck body frames. on frame. Correct. Well, the you can make the argument that the well yeah no traditional correct. truck style yeah. body on frame. So as you may uh, have probably already guessed, the two new uh, Korean competitors, the Hyundai and the Kia, they were a step above uh, everyone else. Not only did they have the advantage of being uh, the newest. Uh, designs in the segment, as usually happens, uh, they do pretty well. But also, they just—you can tell whenever they get serious about a segment, they just offer it a ton more than everyone else and sell them cheaper and immediately uh, have a big impact on a segment. And uh, that's what they've done with the Palisade and the Kia. Uh, they were both scored obviously pretty close together. Hyundai edged it out uh, just at the end, mainly because the interior. I mean, it's just over the top. I mean, it would if. If it would have been in a luxury SUV comparison, uh, it sure looks like one. yeah, it would have compared uh, almost as well. Uh, last year's winner, the Atlas, came in third. Again, uh, offers a ton of room for this segment. Um, even the third row has an amazing amount of room, um, but the interior is just a little drab and boring. And plain compared to the to the other ones, uh, good you tech. Know, good tech. That what this this is a, a a market that traditionally we thought of as an American brand market. But even with the Ford Explorer in there, which was is brand new, um, is it just they've one upped everybody? And why didn't the Explorer do better? The Explorer uh, is nice, and it is all new. Uh, it has an it had the EcoBoost engine, uh, which is amazing. Uh, had more power and felt stronger than most of the other vehicles. Uh, the interior is just very, uh, I don't want to say claustrophobic. It's not nearly as roomy mm-hmm. as the other ones. Uh, it's only 
uh, especially the third row getting in there is just not as good. And uh, there was some complaints about the overall powertrain. Again, plenty of power, but the transmission that's got the Ford 10-speed, which some cars like the Mustang and the new Ranger, I thought it did really well with here. I don't know if it was just that vehicle or the what. tuning but of it, maybe. The, it was just all over the place with shifting, and hmm. especially downshifting. It was just uh, really clunky downshifts. But it's a fun car to drive uh, and just didn't have – it was – I don't know, a couple gram more than anything else in the segment, and it didn't even have some of the safety stuff that the other ones had. Uh, so the usual competitors like the Honda Pilot, Chevrolet Traverse were also there. Um, again, nothing wrong with them, They're just older designs, especially the Pilot. I mean, that's uh, going on quite a few. And then the other relatively new one, Subaru Ascent, that was the cheapest uh, one you could get, and it kind of felt like it. That's kind of why it didn't do as well. just felt like driving a bigger, awkward outback uh, with not a lot to offer other than safety. Really Again, crowded. A ton of oh, stuff. Wow. Well, I actually had the – in a completely separate event, had the chance to drive a Palisade and an Ascent uh-huh. on off-road situations back-to-back. And the Ascent – well, the Palisade wasn't bad off-road. It felt really comfortable. The Ascent was more geared towards off-road, as you would imagine a Subaru being. But definitely going back and forth between the two right away, the Palisade instantly has that comfort and luxurious factor over uh, over an Ascent. As, as I recall it, the Palisade's got one feature that the Telluride, Telluride doesn't have, and that's the power-folding third seat. Power-folding yeah. third, which to me... Some people made a big deal I about it. That wouldn't yeah. necessarily be a... I would downgrade it from that just because it, you know, like, it takes forever. It takes forever. I was going to just flip a seat yeah. and throw some stuff in. It's like, gosh. Yeah, but and the other thing is it has now. the whole center stack is different, yeah. and it's got push buttons for shifters instead of a real shifter, which, again, I'd probably mark it down for that. Right. But everyone else, to a lot of people, that's a luxury item. So We should uh, note that the Telluride is assembled in the U.S. and the Palisade is imported. Correct. Uh, also, I think the biggest takeaway I had was this, like, depending on auto, auto segments, there's uh, some vehicles are vastly different than others in the segment. This was basically mm. seven versions of the same exact vehicle. Right. I mean, everyone wants to, the three-row, all the features, all the safety is just – different spins on the exact same vehicle we have a hyundai palisade in for a long-term vehicle so it'll be interesting to see how we like that over the next year you'll have to let me know yeah (laughs) moving on 2019 audi e-tron i think we all had a chance to sample that who wants to start greg yeah i'll start i took it to uh, the track uh so i live out near the track and um i was able to kind of commute the night before which was a really nice commute home uh it's comfortable really comfortable uh quiet you know i might have even said this in the previous podcast where like all electric suvs kind of drive similar and uh this is really falls in line with that it's a really comfortable ride um going on the track through cones it's planted to the ground because of a low center of gravity it doesn't mean it doesn't roll um but it does feel really locked down and i was able to hustle it through there pretty quickly um, it's quick off the line. I think I, it's exciting, just not exhilarating. Like it's not like a Tesla level of acceleration. We got 5.2 seconds. It's still 60. pretty fast. Yeah, it's fast. And it, it is exciting to get that instant torque. Um, and that's uh, in boost mode when you have to go to a sport setting on the shifter, and then it puts you in boost mode, which just sounds cool, but it's not that. <laughs> it's not cool. ludicrous. It's yeah. just boost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just boost. And, and like as you're going down the track, you see it's just slowly slip back into 100% battery mode. Uh, but I mean, 
it's a it's an impressive vehicle. A nice job by Audi. Uh, my only problem is that it's only two hundred and four miles of range. Yeah, so uh, I was with Greg at the track, got to do some of the same stuff he did. He did all the straight line testing, but I got to run it through the cones as well. And I will agree, nice low center of gravity definitely keeps you planted in the ground. You don't feel like you're about to lose it, and you could push it a little bit more than I feel like cars are the same size that we've had at the track and tried to you know throw through the cones and stuff. And um, I have one of the longer commutes of the Motor Week team, and I got to commute home with it a few times. And it's a really comfortable car to be stuck in traffic on the highway. And, you know, it has all the great features, extremely comfortable. And the the range is a little worrisome. You can definitely get some range anxiety in that car. Uh, but otherwise, I, I enjoyed it. And I would say out of all the electric cars that we've had it it so far is my favorite did it is that because it drove like an audi or not that's that's their claim that's why they took the route they did of not making it look you know really different Mm -hmm. and it does It, it drives like an audi you know in comparison with others like the q3 that we had and stuff it it just feels like another audi yeah, you're looking at a segment of three right now, right? The Model X, the Jag I-Pace, mm-hmm. and this vehicle, at least for the time being. The Tesla is kind of its own thing. Um, and much it, bigger. Yeah, yeah. It compares pretty much right down the spec sheet with the Jag. I mean, the similar powertrain setups. The Jag has a little more uh, range, uh, but where Audi wants to, uh, I guess, separate themselves is their regen braking. I think adds a lot of miles back in. So while it may say only 204 miles, you know, you can drive 10 miles and still have 204 miles just if you're yes, driving it. The that's right what way. I noticed. So, yeah. And then they also made a big deal about it charges a lot quicker than everything else. But I'm not sure that we actually noticed that. Yeah, I actually, I was going to say, I, from experience, I took it to just a, a random fast charging place and got about roughly 20 miles in like 10 minutes for about five dollars. How much? I was going to say how much you paid for that. Yeah, it's about five bucks. Just just under five dollars. I took it uh, fully charged up to Shippensburg, PA, from um, Finksburg, Maryland, where I call home. Uh, what so, street? <laughs> not going to go. There. Okay, all right. I. Uh, It's about 65 miles up through Gettysburg and out. And so we left with a full charge, and it was indicating 183 miles of range. I think we were probably up almost to Tannytown before mileage started to drop, (laughs) which for anyone that doesn't live in Maryland, that's maybe another 10, 15 miles. We got to Shippensburg. We had used maybe... 60 miles at most down from the 180. So, so let's say we had 120 left. Then we went to lunch, came back, and came home. We still ended up back home with about 40 miles. So long story short. Sounds like a lovely day. We drove about 150 miles and still had about 60 miles left on it. But I got to tell you, on the way back, when you're sort of about 25 miles from home and you're looking down at this thing, you're thinking, okay, it's a cold day. You've got the heat on, so that drains some down. And yet range anxiety does start to creep in. Mm-hmm. So now we've all of a sudden now we've got vehicles like this and the Teslas and we've got, uh, of course, Chevy Bolt. Now we've gone from where 200 miles was kind of like our threshold for no anxiety to now – if you listen to Ford, and I think they're right, it's going to be more like 300. Where do we go that we're not going to worry about range and how long it charges up, takes an electric car to charge up? If you well, were going to buy one, what would you look for? 
as far as range? Uh, you mean in my dream situation? Yeah, in your dreams. In your dreams. Uh, I want 500 miles. You want 500 miles. Or with, or with, I want a charging station literally on every exit or every parking That can lot. charge. Yeah. That can charge quickly. What is yeah. it? Because um, the, the Audi promises, they say, that you got 20 miles in how, how long? Yeah, and it was a cold day. I mean, there might be factors. It was about 20 miles in 10 minutes. And they say... Oh, what is it? The Mustang Mach-E is supposed to get uh, 50 miles in, what, 15 minutes or something like that. So anyway, I guess manufacturers are trying to um, approach I think, that. I think that's the bigger issue, yeah. getting the battery charged quicker and easier, and not we, so much tacking on range. And we were at lunch, so it would have been nice to have had a fast charger right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the fast chargers were nowhere near any of the restaurants. So you couldn't eat. Which we, you know, we took an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Theoretically, I, that would have almost reached. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if the rang, range anxiety actually has to do with a lot of the range. It's like refilling anxiety, right? Quickly. For me, like I'm playing, I'm constantly planning. Even if I have a full yeah. battery, I'm like, all right, what if what if this happens or what if that Correct. happens? If I'm not easily accessible, or, or if a charging station is not easily accessible, I'm just constantly anxious. Yeah. Maybe I have a problem. I guess we've gotten away from it. I the the e-tron. There was some uh, information in the automotive news this week, talking about um, Roger Penske saying that uh, he's not uh, thrilled with the public acceptance of it so far. In other words, people haven't been coming in and just driving him off a lot without any uh, um, caring about price because it is an expensive vehicle. We're talking uh, seventy-six thousand almost to start. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I agree with Kyle. I think of all the electric vehicles we've driven, pure electric, it's my favorite. But um, I think this still has a way to go before it gets uh, down to where the average Joe will be looking at it. Maybe that's what the uh, Ford Mustang Mach-E is all about. Possibly. Totally different type of car that Greg has just come back from driving, the uh, Hyundai RM19 prototype. I call it sort of a race car. I guess it's more, much more than that. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, the, um, at the end of the L.A. Auto Show week, I got to have a little fun. Headed out to Hyundai's Proving Grounds in the middle of the desert and uh, got to drive what they, one of the things they released at the auto show, which is called the RM19 Prototype. Uh, what that is is basically their, I think it's an i30 and race car, um, but they've made it for the street. So it has all the aero treatment on it, big front splitter, huge rear diffuser, huge wing. Uh, instead of in a Veloster, the engine's up front. Well, in this, the engine's in the back. Well, technically mid-engine, which is what RM stands for, is racing midship. Now, they have, this is what, the fourth? Or yeah, fifth there's one? been like is a 14, 14 16. 15, yeah, yeah. Right. They, they've, they've done a it's few of them. It's been a series. Uh, but they claim that they're very close to the, – the goal is to make a mid-engine – a hatchback or a Velocity family car for production, uh, which I'm all for. Please, I'm I'm here for it. Let's let's get that out there. <laughs> uh, but I got out there and actually drove uh, drove it in the desert uh, at their proving grounds, and uh, really had a blast. This thing has a six speed sequential gearbox, which first time I've ever driven one. So if you're unfamiliar, it actually has a clutch, but it uses paddle shifters. So use the clutch just to get going. Uh, and then once you're going, you don't even touch it. You just bang through the gears with the paddles. It's like a uh, almost like a, a motorcycle engine, basically, right, right, Brian? Yeah. Sounds um, good. 
So this engine uses a two-liter uh, turbo four. It can be tuned up to 390 horsepower. Again, since this is basically the race car, I think they run it a little bit lower because they have the whole balance of performance thing. Uh, we actually drove it in 360 horsepower form, which isn't a ton, but when it's That's small, when it's a small car, mid-engine, uh, mid-engine, yeah, yeah. and you can throw that thing around, it's just I had a blast. I only had four laps in it. But like I said before, I'm just I'm here for this car. Please you, you, send it my way. You were way. able to fit into it. Dave. I fit Those in. Those don't know. Greg's quite tall. Yeah, I fit in it fine. We, it was set up with a whole uh, five point harness and roll cage and everything. So the cool thing was, is it drove like a race car. You when you wanted to do something, you just did it. It wasn't like you had to baby the car. Hmm. But the interesting thing was, you're sitting in a car minus the five point harness. I mean, it had a nice interior, a Veloster interior. You know, I had places to put my my camera and audio recorder. Um, it was just, you know, a streetcar interior with race car attributes. Rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive? Rear-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. And there was a backseat or no backseat? That is, you know what? I didn't even pay attention. I was so worried about not stalling in front of anybody. <laughs> didn't notice. I didn't. I have to look back if at you're pictures. you're talking about like a family car mid-engine, I'm just like, well. It might have to be a two-seater if they make a mid-engine hatch. Yeah. Haven't there been, and gosh, I'm not a Ferrari aficionado. Haven't there been some mid-engine Ferraris with a, like a, you know, two plus two arrangement? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Ferrari Remember. should send us more cars yeah. so we can figure yeah. it out. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Still sounds like you had a great time. Had a good time. That, that's a fun track they have out yeah, there. Yeah, I drove then, the Stinger GT before that came out on that track. That's, they have a really fun It's track. cool. And then we got to go out in their actual race car and uh, <laughs> with, Night and with day. their real drivers. Yeah. And I got to sit and just be humbled by their so, skill. So your eyes big or did you just take it in stride? Yeah, I didn't say a word the whole time around the track. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our lightning round, and I'm kind of anxious to hear what everybody's got to say. We're going to talk about Tesla's Cybertruck, because just after the uh, official press day at the uh, L.A. Auto Show, uh, uh, Elon Musk did his thing. We've been hearing about the Cyber pickup truck for a long time. It's uh, now seen it. Very angular. Uh, I'm not going to give away. I'll let everybody talk about some of the stuff. This is usually where, after 30 seconds... You hear this, but I'm going to dispense with this because I think we could have some good times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who wants to start? Tesla's Cybertruck. Tell us about it, and what did you think about it? I uh, say they've broken the glass window of EV trucks. <laughs> oh, and, uh, Ooh, low blow. It'll be a smashing success. <laughs> that was right off the cuff, people. He didn't even have notes. He yeah. came in late to this podcast. didn't even know he had one. That was literally off the cuff. Stainless steel skin, very angular, looks like a chisel almost, uh, armored side glass, which, as you probably gathered, didn't hold up very well during the reveal. No. Kyle, I mean, you're a pickup truck owner. Would you be caught a living or dead in, in uh, a cyber truck? I mean, you know, if I was living— Especially since you own an F-150, and that's his target. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um you know, I, if I lived in the movie Blade Runner, then maybe. That's, that's what it looks like. It's <laughs> exactly what it looks like. Um, an 8-bit version yeah, of an Blade 8-bit Runner. Yeah, an 8-bit version of Blade Runner. Very pixelated. Um, it's it's interesting, to say the least. Uh, I almost have a hard time actually calling it a pickup truck because, uh, you know, I understand it has all the pedigree stuff that you it's need. Like for it. It's yeah, like a ridgeline. Yeah, kind of like a, like, uh, like a ridgeline. It's just, uh, you know, I say pickup truck-esque. Um, I... I have a lot of friends that are truck guys, a lot of people around me that own and love trucks and work on them and all that kind of stuff. And I haven't talked to any of them yet, but I can guarantee that you can hear their eyes rolling. Uh, 
it's it's just it doesn't look like a truck. But, I don't but think he's promising 500 mile range. Mm-hmm. He's promising a 14,000 pound towing capacity, zero to 60 in three seconds, 2.9. I mean, he's got 200,000 deposits already. I think it's 100 bucks yeah. a piece. But but still, he know. also promised armored glass. Well, I think they'll do armored glass, but maybe they'll be more armored. Yeah. They're already saying that number is bogus, though. Yeah. Anyway, there's already been reports about that. But what, yeah. the 200,000? Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a small step. And I mean, EV pickup trucks are coming. There's going to be a ton of them. Yeah, yeah. and it's a small step. And, uh, you know, you if you're going to be the first one to do something, do you want it to make look? Do you want to make it look exactly like an F-150? Or do you want to bring out something like that where everyone in the world is going to be talking about it? So yeah. I think it's accomplished its mission. It's got everyone in the world talking about it. And it's got other guys sitting around in boardrooms now saying, Why well, Tesla do is doing this. Mm-hmm. We got to get to work. Well, you got Workhorse has already shown their truck, which looks pretty conventional you've got rivian which looks a little weird but not that uh, nothing like this i'm fascinated by why he made it look this way um it's all stainless steel so it's kind of like uh you know a delorean with a a bed on the back but he did that apparently because he wouldn't have to invest in an expensive paint shop Mm -hmm. also it's thick stainless steel and thick glass because that's actually the structure of the truck yeah uh, the exoskeleton uh, type approach that, the, that Saturn actually used. So he's done a lot there to probably save himself a billion dollars worth of investment in the factory uh, that's going to have to build these. So, you know, they went going in saying, how can we do a truck that will actually knock everybody's pins off but not cost a whole heck of a lot to build? I guess they've done it. If 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 they do it, I mean, they, he hasn't built the Y yet, and that was supposed to come out. Well, that'll come out, I guess, next year. And for this to follow in twenty twenty one, he'll probably do what he did uh, with the um, uh, the Model Three and build a couple before the end of the year, so they can met, meet, say they met the goal. But well, interesting, Kyle. Go. I just say one of the things I'm you know very skeptical about too is the five hundred mile range. What what that's does a that lot mean? of batteries. It's a lot of batteries, but what does that entail? Just one driver and a cup of coffee? Because what happens when you have the fourteen thousand pounds? Well, and it, uh, you know, yeah. it's you know, then what? You're down to. 300, 400, you know, 200, uh, you know, has that even been tested yet? So obviously this big grandiose 500 miles, if you're going to actually use it as a truck, I don't think there's any way you're ever going to get 500 miles. Anybody see the the tug of war he did with the F-150? And no one's going to – well, I shouldn't say no one. Most people aren't going to use this as a work truck. Yeah. It's it's made like – you mentioned the Ridgeline. Someone that drives their truck, truck. Yeah, drives the truck every day to work, and, oh, they might need to pick up something at Home Depot on the weekend. Mm-hmm. So, Well, watch this space. Cybertruck is coming one way or the other. It certainly got everybody's attention. Cyber, that sounds like a T-shirt if I ever Cybertruck is coming. <laughs> Speaking of uh, technology, um, we've got a question from Jim. Does the automatic engine shutoff feature that's in more and more vehicles, almost everything we get in now, shorten the life of the engine? Which vehicles let you shut the feature off? I haven't heard of any real predominant cases of engines failing because of it yet and it's Nobody been yet. out for a few years i mean uh, they usually they used to be the original question we used to get on that well would it shorten the life of the starter and the answer is they put in this humongous starter uh, motor to take care of that and in many cases more than one battery yeah we were probably as critical as anybody was on auto stop start to the point where most of us we would test it to see how it worked and then mm. pretty much Shut it yeah, off. Yeah, shut it off yeah. across the board. Now we were just having the conversation off air. I've 
am leaving it on quite a bit of the time. I find that they don't all behave. Any one vehicle will behave slightly different depending on your situation, whether you're stopped at a stoplight, a brief stop at a stop sign. Sometimes if they've got time to shut down properly, they'll restart and very smoothly. But if they start up after only a second or so, it's often rougher. There seems, you know, there's plus gauging different vehicles and different size engines are trying to start. Uh, it's much more noticeable. Some, they're almost invisible. To answer his question as far as which vehicles let you shut it off, just about everything allows now. you to turn it off. Some of the GM stuff, especially, they, they're so proud of their system, they don't understand why you would want to turn it off. But uh, Well, and it's an extension some, of, well, their, uh, uh, my, of their mild hybrid yeah. technology. The, uh, so, uh, almost all of them, though, you can turn off. And even if there's not a switch, some have a separate switch. Some of them, if you just put the vehicle in sport mode, it'll automatically mm-hmm. turn the auto stop start off. So the uh, answer, Jim, is if you're act- the next vehicle you buy, regardless it is, you need to kind of grill the the sales consultant or do your own research. They they may or may not know, but you know, I I would ha- make they probably sure won't they, know. they probably won't make sure that uh, they show you if it can be shut off how it is. And some are more some are easier to shut off the others. Some mm-hmm. you have to go into the menu, and then I think you were noting, Greg, that when you restart it, it probably defaults to yeah. back on. So I, I it has that's to. The yeah, I, I asked an engineer there. about that because yeah. it was kind of bothering me. I think even it might have been in Mercedes where, like, literally every time you change the drive mode, you didn't even have to go into sport. It could have been, like, eco to snow or whatever it, it is. It would come back on. And I asked him why it was that way, and that's an EPA thing where every time the engine is cycled, say you go to the store, come back, it's, to get that – EPA rating, they have to have it come on automatically. If they're going to use the mileage numbers from the EPA test, it normally has to be default to on. And obviously, they're kind of hoping you'll get so tired of turning it off, you'll leave it on. Again, like I said, just driving around the last few weeks, I've noticed it more and more of cars shutting off at at red Mm -hmm. lights. Thanks, Jim, for that question. Hope that gives you some insight. And uh, any any other rant and raves? Anyone's got something that uh, this week? And mine's are... very specific. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Love it. Those are the best. Yeah. yeah. So um, as I've said in the past, all this push button stuff for you know gear selection, drive you know. Reverse, for a young guy, you're really a tradition. I really don't like it. I just I can't stand it. You know the, the Lincoln piano key. You know a Honda Acura. All those. I've never been a fan of it, but at least it was just a button, and I can get over that. But we just had a GMC Acadia. Oh, and, that's the one I was thinking Yep, of. and I can't stand the design. For reverse and drive, it's this little toggle switch that you have to get your finger up and over and pull it towards yourself, and it is infuriating. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry whoever designed it, but no. Just hard no. no. You don't have to be sorry. It was just a poor yeah, design. We, yeah, it's just it's not intuitive at all. Yeah, it's it's a it's a bad design. It's not very user friendly, and I just couldn't stand it when I, we had to be I out driving. You know, to to me, it reminded me of someone trying to one up the Acura Honda system, mm-hmm. which I also don't like, mm-hmm. and I'm always hitting the wrong push pull switch on that. Yeah, and it's like, what's wrong? Okay, I get it. You don't want this big shifter coming out of the console because it takes up space even though they're all e-shifters anyway yeah but why just make it something simple and intuitive and i i don't know maybe it's the push buttons that that lincoln's using and we used to have them back on the old chrysler uh, stuff back in the 60s but all this 
trying to come up with something. It's just weird. Just doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, they're just trying to reinvent the wheel. That's what I feel like, and it'll all be failing. Voice, it'll all be voice controlled pretty soon. Yeah. Hey Mercedes, put yeah. me in drive. Put me in drive. <laughs> hey Mercedes, I'm not sure that's going to be a plus. Yeah. Somebody in the back seat could say. Hey, Mercedes, put mom's car in reverse. <laughs> Save the manuals. Yeah, right. Okay. Oh, that's the other thing. By final uh, death knell is being sounded for the owner's manual. Really? Uh, with, uh, I mean, we've already got quite a few cars that we've seen that have the owner's manual on the center display. But that was actually one of the big deals about the uh, Ford Mustang uh, Mach-E that they pointed out how you know, it'll all, they'll give you a startup guide, which Chrysler already does. And um, otherwise, it's all on the screen. And my question is, well, what happens if you lose power? Yeah. You cannot open up read a manual to say what's wrong. You cannot read your uh, electronic owner's manual just as well as you cannot read your regular owner's manual. I, okay, that's, so. a, that's an interesting point. Thank you, Brian Robinson. We'll let you have the last say. And we're going to wow. close out our podcast. <laughs> you, you usually have the last say, Brian. Okay. 218, thanks to everybody around the table, Brian, Greg, and Kyle, and our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, and uh, Bob Mixter, and our producer, Greg Carlos. Thanks to all of you out there who listen into our podcast and who watch Motor Week every week on your local public television station and also on the Motor Trend cable network. If you haven't found us and you're living under a rock, come out of that rock and go on to motorweek.org, pull down the About the Show tab, put in your zip code and you'll find out where we're being seen in your local area until next time i'm john davis thanks very much for being a part of motor week you've been listening to the podcast of motor week television's original automotive magazine motor week is made possible by TireRack.com, rockauto.com and state farm for additional information on podcasts videos and showtimes visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.